Well, we find ourselves in this holiday season again, and I want to wish all of you the very, very best. The gift has become an annual opportunity for us to give back to God during the Christmas season. Our fellowship family has developed a culture of generosity, believing that through the leadership of the Holy Spirit and in obedience to God, our resources can be used to make a difference locally, regionally, and globally. Last year, the people of Fellowship gave over $560,000 to the gift, which was prayerfully distributed by the elders to many worthy causes around the world. This year, we will again review the many requests made, but will also consider reducing the current debt with Fellowship Bentonville. Throughout the month of December, we are asking that you please prayerfully consider donating to the gift again. It's between you and God. We will make special envelopes available, or you can visit the giving page on our website, fellowshipnwa.org forward slash the gift. Thank you for your participation in the past and the difference you've made in the lives of so many through your generosity. Let's never forget how good God has been to us. Good evening, Mosaic. So good to see you. I, I love the generosity. It blows me away every single year when I see the generosity from you, the body of Christ. And, and what a great opportunity we have this year again to give uh, to the gift. And so at the end of the service, there'll be some people at the back uh, handing you envelopes, and you'll have some to pick up if you don't catch the people handing them out. So thank you for taking advantage of that. Hey, I'm, I'm Rodney Holmstrom. I'm the pastor and ministry leader with Celebrate Recovery here, and it's an honor to be here with you. I love worshiping with the body of Christ, and I'm looking forward to, to doing that with you here tonight. If you're here for the first time, we want to let you know we've got lots of opportunities for you to learn more about us as a church, and uh, you can scan that uh, QR code on the screen I guess it's not back there, it's, for, it's here for you guys. So uh, just scan that code and you can get all kinds of information to, to learn what's going on and uh, get connected as we want you to do, okay? Hey, you've been hearing about the Affordable Christmas. It's, it's connected as our partnership with Samaritan Church and, and uh, we got one more week to be able to be a part of that, to be a blessing, to help uh, families be heroes for their kids. So uh, if you'd like to, if you feel in a tug on your heart to be a part of that, would you take advantage of that? You, again, you can scan the code and uh, be a part of that, okay? Christmas Eve services are coming up, and uh, we do need to reserve tickets. So if you will scan that code, if you know you're going to be here and be a part of the, the Christmas Eve services, would you do that? just helps us to know uh, for seating capacity to know who's coming. So if you'll uh, do that for us, we would greatly appreciate that, okay? I love this time of year, but it's also a hard time of year, and so I don't want to take for granted that, that some of you may be carrying some heavy stuff, but I love that we can take our stuff to the Father. And I pray that this season you are in awe and wonder no matter where you are in your life. We want to worship the one that can guide us through the good times, and the hard times, the bad times, that he is the one that will carry us through that. So could we stand and worship our great king on this Saturday night? Oh, come, all oh, ye. Yeah. 
Well, hey, Mosaic. I don't know if you've been here for the past two prayer pauses, um, but we've started a thing called prayer pauses, um, which are just practical ways to engage with the presence of God um, and practicing them as a body. And so the last time we did a prayer pause, Tom laid out this little uh, practical way to kind of enter into the presence of God. Um, And we're going to try it again tonight. So it starts with just relaxation, just relaxing, closing your eyes and refocusing on Emmanuel, right? And receiving what the Lord has for us and releasing anything that is a distraction or that has taken place in our heart that doesn't need to be there, right? And then we enter into his rest together. Um, So we're going to practice this again, but tonight we're going to do it and we're going to focus and the refocusing, we're going to practice just simple adoration of the Lord. So come let us adore him, right? So defining adoration just before we jump into this. Adoration is when you're so convinced um, of the value of something that you've deemed it worthy of your attention, of your affection, of your devotion, right? And you're aiming your love toward it. So when we come into adoration of the Lord, we're aiming our love at the Lord. And when that happens, we're actually freed because we were created for that, right? Everything inside of us is aligned with the original design that he had in mind for us. When we adore the Lord, when we are postured in worship. And maybe this is easy, maybe this is natural for you, but also I wanna acknowledge that for some of us in the room, maybe this is really hard right now. Maybe there's hurt in your heart toward the Lord. Maybe there's even bitterness stored up, things that hurt, right? Maybe there are things that have happened that you've perceived that the Lord is harsh. And I just wanna say that right now, he's not scared of you. (laughs) He's not scared of you and he does not condemn you. It's hard to adore um, what we aren't convinced of, right? When we aren't convinced of the goodness of something, it's hard to adore it. So if you'll let him, he wants to give you a fresh glimpse into his goodness tonight a fresh glimpse into who he really is. Um, And I believe that he has that for everyone here right now. Everyone, wherever wherever you're feeling. If you're feeling hurt um, and pain, or if you're feeling excited to enter into his presence and adore him, I believe that he has a fresh glimpse of his heart for each and every one of us ready tonight. So the first time we did a prayer pause, we practiced just kneeling, right? Just kneeling before the Lord. If that's something you wanna do, do it. If you wanna practice that, if you don't want to, whatever, whatever expression of your heart you want to show the Lord, you want to go before him and do it. If you want to just find some space, raise your hands. If you just want to shut your eyes and sit down, do it. But whatever you do, engage with the heart of Jesus right now. Engage with the Lord, whatever it takes. So let's just close our eyes and refocus our eyes on the Lord, on Emmanuel. Let's receive a glimpse of his goodness, new revelation of him. Let's release distractions and let's just throw our adoration on him because we're convinced that he's worthy.
friends, family, continue to stay in this posture of adoration. Continue to stay in this posture of prayer. And Hannah is going to read a hope, a, a prayer of, of peace, I mean, over you tonight. If you'd like to read along with her, then please feel free to. And if you'd like to just listen and adore the heart of Jesus as she reads this prayer of peace, then you can listen as well. Who is this king who came that our bondage would cease? Who entered into our darkness to offer his peace? Who is this king who came with delight to still our thoughts and quiet our chaos? Jesus, king of peace. You say my peace is for you. And what you've won for us, Christ, no man can take. That we may eat at your table for all of our days. Oh, to draw near to you, our king to taste and to see that there is nothing as rich as your presence and dwelling. Good shepherd, there is no smile more confident, no voice more sure, no safer dwelling than here in your pasture. So Christ who came to us, we come now to you just simply to gaze. The strife, the noise, the fear, it all slowly fades as we're face to face. your spirit were yours. We say, come close, dear child, just be. And by your spirit will overflow with all we receive. So lead us, King Jesus, lead us clothed in your peace, that the world would see the gift of your spirit setting us free. Jesus, King of peace, thank you for coming. You're changing everything.
God, we do give glory to your name. And we know that every good thing comes from you. And so we ask tonight that as we worship through song and through our offering, that you would take what we give and use it to accomplish your purposes for your glory and your honor, Lord. And we continue now in worship.
humble, help our hearts to be receptive, help our hearts to be postured in peace. Lord, let there be renewal in our minds, in our bodies, in our souls tonight. As we worship the Prince of Peace who came so lowly, as we dwell in his kingdom that is here and now and look forward as well to eternity, God, we, we are full of joy. We are full of reverence. We rejoice in you, our King, Jesus, our Prince of Peace. Amen.
guys can take a seat. Well, good evening, Fellowship Mosaic. It is so good to be with you. Um, my name is Nick, and uh, I'm one of the, the people who serves teaching here. Um, we have a, one of the things that, that I love about serving here at Fellowship generally is that we just take a team approach to everything we do. And so if you ever notice that you don't see the same person teaching week after week after week, um, that's not because we have scheduling problems. Um, that's actually a deliberate thing that we want to do is to experience different voices, different gifts as a part of our teaching. So, hey, before we jump into our passage tonight, I want to just have a little uh, family meeting. Just a little update on where we are as Fellowship Mosaic and, uh, and what we see ha- has happened over the last two years and where things are going moving forward. Um, I was having a conversation with a leader in our body recently, and he said, so, hey, can I just ask about the elephant in the room? And I said, what's the elephant in the room? And he said, the numbers. Like, we have a lot less people than we used to have. Are, are you avoiding talking about that, or is it something you're ever going to talk about? And I was like, oh, no, I guess we can talk about it, can't we? So let's talk about it. Let's, let's be honest. We, when you look at the gathering that's in this place, Fellowship Mosaic, we're about one-third the size we were two years ago, okay? Um, now, we're not particularly numbers-driven people, and we don't keep really close track of numbers, um, but we can say generally that's about where we are. It's about one-third the size of where we were two years ago. Um, conservative estimate, somewhere around five or 600 people call Fellowship Mosaic home. So what do we do with a number like that? Okay, Um, nowhere in the scriptures is numbers given as the metric of a healthy church. That's not what we're after. And numbers can be an indicator of what's happening, though. Much like um, if you've done the the baby checkups in the first couple of months of life, what's the first thing they want to check in the baby? Weight. They want to see weight. Why? Because uh, the change in weight is a measure of something that's happening, right? And all the way through adult life, weight can go up and down. And neither direction is in and of itself a measure of health or unhealth, right? Sometimes a gain in weight is a sign of something good. Sometimes the loss of weight is a sign of something good. You have to understand why it's happening to understand if that is a good thing or a bad thing. So the question is, what's happened in the last two years in our congregation? What explains the change that we've gone through? And what does that tell us about where we are and whether or not we're healthy? Okay, so... We can point to three things. Let's just be honest. The last two years have been a hard two years, yes? Yes. The last two years have been hard for everybody, um, not just our congregation. But there have been some unique things going on in our congregation in the last uh, last few years. We've had a pandemic. Uh, We've had all kinds of political, racial issues that have really brought a lot of contention and strife uh, in our nation and our community. And then we've had some huge leadership transition things going on here. And all of that has culminated to a lot of change in a very short amount of time. So the question that we need to ask when we find ourselves one-third the size that we were two years ago is, where did the people go? And that's going to tell us whether or not this change is a sign of health or unhealth. And as we've been asking that question and having conversations with people, we can point to three places that people have gone, three reasons people who used to call this congregation home no longer do. And one of those is actually a marker of incredible health. In one year, this congregation has gotten to be part of launching three other congregations. Guys, that is what we desire as a vision for our church, is that we would be a part of sending people to other places to start new families, new congregations, so that people be served and come to know Christ in a new way. We're not going to stop doing that. 
This is not, if anyone feels like, man, it was really hard sending people we love, let's hope that never happens again. Wrong. It is going to happen again. We're already praying about where's the next place we can do that. Now, what was unique about the last year was doing it three times in a year. Okay, that is hard. Okay, that's not normal. Okay, and it was, you've heard the stories, it was a lot of unique circumstances. But in the course of doing that, we sent five staff people, um, including several families and members of this congregation, to go start new things. That's a unique season. And so we look at that and we see that, even though it's hard and it's a challenge, we see that as a sign of health for this congregation. Okay, so we are thrilled about what is happening and what God is gonna do in Samaritan Springdale, Samaritan Rogers, and in Fellowship Bentonville. And our hope is to tell those stories over the next coming months so that you can hear what's going on and know that we are tied to that. That is family. Now, is it sad to see people who've been a part of your community go to be a part of another community, even if it's for a good reason? Yes. Is it okay to feel sadness about that? Yes. Any parents ever seen their adult children go off to start a new family and felt a mix of joy and sadness? Yes, that's what normal family does, right? People grow up and they go start new families and that brings both joy and sadness. So that is a big part of the transition we've gone through. Now, what's interesting, it's not the only part. One reason that people are no longer with us is because they've gone to start other congregations. And I wanna encourage us to do nothing but celebrate and bless that when we talk to those other people. Can I, sometimes we tell jokes that come with a tinge of truth. Um, can I go ahead and invite us to drop some vocabulary? Jokes about like traitors or abandoning us. We've all made them, let's drop them, okay? Because they come with a tinge of hurt and, and a feeling of loss that might not, being communicated, might not be being communicated in the best way. We celebrate people that we've sent to go start new things, even if it comes with a bit of sadness. And that doesn't make it any less hard for us, just like the parent who sends their adult off, feels that sadness and that loss, it's still good and healthy. Now, the second category is people for whom the pandemic was such an interruption to the rhythms of life that they would still maybe call Fellowship Mosaic home, they're just not coming. Perhaps they've gotten in the habit of using the online video as their way of doing church. Um, I wanna speak to that. I'll make eye contact with the camera for just a second. Hey, I wanna speak to that for a minute. Um, Sam Hannon, the, the congregational leader for the Sunday morning congregation, made the comment that a little part of him is tempted to sneak in here at night with his BB gun and shoot the cameras out. And I sympathize with that a little bit, okay? The cameras, the online was put in place as a substitute for when people cannot be here because of health concerns or travel concerns. We will continue to have it for that purpose. It was not put in place to become a regular rhythm of doing church for people who can be here. The reason is because the meaning of church is to gather. That's actually the meaning of the Greek word church is a gathering. So we are meant to be together. So I would say, you know what? I felt it. When we first started coming back to meeting in person, I got really used to church in PJs on my couch. And for several weeks, I found excuses to not come. And it was usually my wife who would kind of go, this is not a good example for our child. Let's go to church. I was like, yeah, yeah, you're right. Okay, let's go. I get it. I totally get it. But I wanna encourage you, even if you have the sense, I get just as much out of it at home as I do going. A, I'm gonna challenge whether that's true. 
But B, it's not just about what you get out of it. It's about everybody else here experiencing your presence. My sister and her family live in a suburb of Sydney, Australia. They've been there for, I think, five years. They had their first child this April. And we are dying to meet that precious little girl. And we have been doing all the substitutes we can with with video chats and with messages and sending pictures. She's flying here in a week and a half to spend the holidays with us. We're thrilled through the roof to be face-to-face with him. Can you imagine... My sister's gonna be staying with my parents in Springdale. Can you imagine her getting to town from the other side of the world and me texting her and saying, hey, sis, I'm probably not gonna be able to make the trip to Springdale in the next couple of weeks. Besides, FaceTime is working just fine for me. Let's just FaceTime. If it worked from Sydney to Rogers, it can work from Springdale to Rogers. Can you imagine the relational rejection that would be? To have the opportunity to be in the living room with my sister and choose to forego that for a camera screen? So, I am not trying to shame or rebuke anyone, but I would say is, we invite you, if you are able to be here, make being here in person the way that we experience gathering together. That is what we are setting out as, and we believe the scriptures call us to as our normal way of gathering. Okay, so some people have been sent intentionally. Some people have gotten out of the rhythm. And then the third category is some people have left over the last two years because they've been unhappy with something that has happened here at Fellowship over the last two years. Maybe they've been unhappy with the way the leadership transition was handled. Maybe they've been unhappy with how we responded to the pandemic, unhappy with how we handled or didn't handle political issues. Um, And so for one reason or another, they've voiced, they're not happy with where we're going as a church and they're going somewhere else. Um, I'll just say a couple of things about that. Uh, First of all, no one in leadership of this church is gonna pretend we've handled the last two years perfectly. Everyone I have talked to about any issue has said, man, I wish I could take that one back. Oh, I wish we could have said that one differently. We've made mistakes, no doubt about it. And so um, while on the one hand, we we wanna see people growing in Christ, And if they're gonna grow in Christ, another congregation, this is not a commercial competition where we're fighting for market share of churches in Northwest Arkansas. That's not what we're doing here. All the churches in Northwest Arkansas that proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ are after the same thing. So we celebrate somebody growing in another congregation. It's sad when there's a rupture of a relationship that leads to that. And that's hard and that breaks our heart and we'd like to try to address that. So I wanna say um, the one thing I would invite and I think the whole team here would invite, if there's anything uh, that you're struggling with, with how we've handled something, we're not afraid of hard questions. We'd love to talk to you about it. We'd love to try to grow together. Um, Family is filled with conflict. Anybody have conflict over Thanksgiving with a family member? Right? We don't expect we're gonna agree on everything. So we wanna have conversations and, and try to grow together. So I think those three things explain a little bit of how we got to where we are. So now the question becomes, where are we going next? We've gotten smaller for some really healthy reasons and for some sad reasons, and now we are where we are. By the way, we're not a small church. Uh, the average church size in America is significantly smaller. We're not really concerned about that. What we're concerned about is health. And I don't have a radical new vision for Fellowship Mosaic. I don't have something new and compelling to charge us forward. Um, Rather, what our team is praying for is that we can fall in love with a really, really old vision. 
as we've been praying through what do the next six months around here look like? This is not a new branding. You're not gonna see this on the website. We're not gonna print banners with these words. This is just a prayer that we've been having as a team. What would it look like for the next six months as we look around the people that are here with us to focus on reorienting in three directions? To reorient to God. Where there's been distraction, where there's been confusion, where there's been loss of focus, what would it look like to really lock our hearts into our Father? And by the way, reorienting to God happens primarily through the scriptures and through prayer. So we're gonna spend a lot of time in God's word. I'm thrilled about 22. We're gonna go through the books of Ruth, Jonah, John, and Ephesians. We're gonna get some heavy Bible, and I'm really looking forward to it. And that's why we're implementing these prayer pauses, these times to gather together and focus in prayer, to really seek the Lord together. And instead of trying to focus on the things that are splitting us apart, what if we united around the one thing that actually can permanently and completely bond people together? our Lord Jesus. So we're gonna reorient to God and then we wanna reorient to each other. We wanna get to know each other again. I spent a lot of time in 2020 alone in an office on Zoom calls. I'm done. So we wanna start gathering together and getting to know each other again. That's why we wanna gather in this place and that's why we wanna gather in small groups just to reorient to each other. One of the reasons we brought the banners back, that surprised everybody, right? You saw that come in this morning, this evening. We wanna get closer together again. Now, if you're sitting behind the banners, you're not in trouble, security's not gonna escort you out, okay? Um, If you need some space, that's totally great, but we do wanna invite, scoot forward. Um, Some people have asked, why don't we move to another room? We explored it, the reality is, for some technical reasons, this is the best room for our gathering, so we just wanna shrink it a little bit um, and just come a little closer and reorient to each other, and then we want to reorient to our mission. God gave the church a mission through his son Jesus 2,000 years ago, and I don't think we're gonna one-up it. He said, go make disciples. Transform people into little Christs who are they're gonna be set loose in the world to show the world what Jesus is like. That's our mission. We can give it new language for a new generation. That mission isn't gonna change. And so we wanted to really focus on reorienting in these three directions over the next six months. Um, some biblical language you could put alongside these in case you didn't catch on. Looks like love God love others, and make disciples. So that's what we're gonna center on. That's what we're gonna focus on and and let God reshape the people that are here for what God has next for this congregation. So just wanted to put that out there for where we are and what we're praying through. I know there's been a lot of leadership transition. And so there's, we're not gonna like, I'm not gonna walk through these. I'm just gonna put some faces on the screen, uh, especially if you wanna go grab the slides online later. So you can see as we've launched several people to Bentonville and to Samaritan. Um, so you can see kind of this, this page right here is a lot of the people on our team who focus on adult leadership. And then the next page is people who focus on family and kids. And so if you have questions, you can go online. There's a staff directory, grab an email. We'd love to get time with you. We really like you, actually. And we like talking to you. So we would love to catch up as we reorient to each other and get to know each other a little bit better. So we invite you, lean in, dig deep, and let's pursue God together. That's where we're going as a church. That's what we believe God has called us to. And uh, we're excited to go there with you. Let me pray. And we're gonna dive into our passage for tonight. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your goodness and your grace. And thank you that we get to be a part of your family. And God, I pray that tonight, um, as we look at what it means that Jesus has come and the peace that comes because of that, I pray that you'll transform who we are. That this Advent season will be a season where we can do that, where we can reorient to you and each other and to the mission that you've given your church. We love you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
So my main exposure to Handel's Messiah most of my life was through really cheesy moments in movies. You know the ones I'm talking about, like the Christmas special where the dad is frantically trying to find the one toy left for his kid and he rounds the corner and a spotlight comes down on the toy and you hear, hallelujah, right? Holly, of course, that's, that's, what, that's what most of us know of Handel's Messiah. It's a really cheesy moment for 90s movies. And then I got to college choir and we sang, my wife Cassie and I got to sing the Christmas portion of Handel's Messiah in choir and I discovered a masterpiece a masterpiece of writing that took the words of scripture of the coming of our Lord and put it to music. And one of my favorite moments in Handel's Messiah is a song based on Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. It's one of the most memorable moments in our Old Testament prophecies talking about the coming of our Lord. And it says this, for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This is Isaiah speaking to Israel as they're about to be shattered and broken up and scattered to the four winds. And he's making a promise of what's gonna restore everything. And he promises the coming of a child. And it's from this promise that we get this phrase, Prince of Peace. And I'm sure we have a lot of ideas that come into our mind when we think about peace and what peace is. But there's something that strikes me really odd about the idea of the promised son who brings peace in Isaiah 9. It's coupled with government. Do you see that? Before the titles, it talks about the government will be on his shoulders. Then we get the titles, and then it says the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. I'm puzzled by this. Why does the idea of the peace that Messiah brings so tied to the idea of the rule of the Messiah? Another way to say, it, what did this phrase, Prince of Peace, mean to the original authors, the original audience? And what does it tell us about Jesus and what his coming meant? So what we're gonna do tonight is we're gonna do something a little bit different than the way we normally study things. Instead of anchoring it on one passage, we're gonna do a tour of the entire Bible in 10 minutes. Y'all feel good about that? Anybody wanna place bets on my odds of hitting my time? Not gonna happen. Sorry, Scott. Um, so what we're gonna do is we're gonna start at the beginning. There's a class that we teach here at Fellowship that is, it, of all the classes I've taken on the Bible, it has transformed the way I read the scriptures more than anything else. It's panorama of the Bible. And it works from Genesis to Revelation in 12 movements. And we're just gonna look at the first half of those movements. The story of the scripture starts with a prologue that sets everything up. And then it goes to the story of the patriarchs, the early fathers of Israel. And then it goes to the redemption, the story of their exodus out of Egypt, the conquest as they go into Israel, and take the land God's given them, the apostasy, the turning away from God under the judges, and finally we arrive at the kingdom of Israel, the kingdom of God on earth. So we're gonna track this idea, where, what led us to this phrase, Prince of Peace. And it all starts at the very beginning, Genesis 1.1. We read in Genesis 1.1, under the prologue, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We know that part probably pretty well, but look at verse two. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. That phrase, formless and empty, 
is this Hebrew word to, phrase, tohu vabohu. Everybody say it just because it's fun. Say tohu vabohu, tohu vabohu. You hear how it kind of rhymes? Okay, it's, it's very similar to our phrase topsy-turvy. Tohu vabohu can be translated something like a jumbled mess. Okay, the idea of tohu vabohu when you talk about a land is it's an uninhabitable jungle. Like it's not a place for humans to live. The idea is not that there is something wrong with the world. It's not that God created something bad. It's that God created something uncultivated. Okay, when you think about a place that's tohu vabohu, picture a person in hiking boots with a machete just trying to cut their way through, right? That's tohu vabohu. The world was tohu vabohu. It was a mess. So what does God do next? After he creates this world that's tohu vabohu, he begins to give it shape. And then in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, he does this. He says, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now this phrase, image of God, it's actually a similar phrase that's used to describe an idol, the little shapes that people would worship. And in all the ancient creation myths, only one person is made in the image of God. Do you know who it is? It's always the king. There's all these peddly servant humans, and then there's one human in the image of God, the king. Now what Genesis is saying is God made all humans to be little kings over the world he created. He, and you can see that in the next verse. What does he tell them to do? God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. What's the picture here? You have a world that is a chaotic mess, not fit for human life, even though it's beautiful and teeming with life. And then he creates these humans who are made to rule. And he blesses them. He says, hey, I want you to spread out and fill the earth and I want you to rule it and I want you to subdue it. And then where does he place the humans? Does he place them out in the wild jungle? No, say it, where does he place them? In a garden. Now what's the difference between a jungle and a garden? A, been, a garden has been cultivated with order and purpose. And what's in the garden? All the fruit food they need to survive. The idea is God structures a place called a garden with everything they need to thrive. And he says, now, you are gonna know me, you're gonna walk with me, and you're gonna multiply, and you're gonna fill the earth, and you're gonna make the rest of the world look like Eden. You're gonna take the structure that I showed you how to do in Eden. I taught you what health and perfection looks like, and now I want you, I'm giving you an assignment, human, spread out into the tohu vabohu world and turn the jungle into gardens everywhere you go. Bring beauty and order and purpose. That's what humans are designed to do. But guess what happens like a chapter later? They rebel. They rebel against God's design. They say, we're not gonna go bring God's order. We're gonna bring our own order. We're gonna be in charge. And immediately, everything falls apart and breaks. Now, their job is to rule over the ground and to multiply and fill the earth. And what breaks because of their sin? We're told that the ground is now gonna fight against them and the process of bearing children is gonna be broken and painful. 
producing human life and relationships and producing structure in the world is gonna be hard. And what happens as a consequence in chapter three? Take a look. So the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. No longer are they in the garden. They're sent out into the jungle with a ground that's gonna fight back against them. And as we follow the rest of the story, life becomes tohuva bohu for them. Brothers kill each other. Men abuse women. Work doesn't work like it should. And the world, human life becomes a chaotic mess. Because guess what? Outside of the garden, the world's not ready for human life yet. You see, they needed to cultivate their relationship with God in the garden and spread that out. So take a look at the structure you have here. Humans made to have a relationship with God, to rule over the world, starting in a special place where they experience God's presence and then extending them out, sending that out. So then we move on to the next movement, to the patriarchs. And God calls a man named Abraham. And he says, Abraham, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I'll show you. I'll make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. You'll be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all people on earth will be blessed through you. What God does with Abraham is he says, okay, I'm gonna start that Adam and Eve project again. The same way I started with Adam and Eve, a man and a woman in a special place where they can know me and they're gonna extend my blessing to the whole world. So now instead of Eden, we get what? The land of Israel. That's the new place that where they're gonna experience the order and structure that God made for them. And they are supposed to come into this nation, live with God's blessing and experience everything working the way it should. And over the next several hundred years, a word develops in Hebrew for this kind of life. You know what the word is? It's the word shalom. Shalom is the word we translate peace and it means something like the state of wholeness and prosperity that comes from God's presence in the world. It's what every Hebrew person expected God to do in their lives is to bring this kind of wholeness. That's why they would greet each other with shalom. Now, that's a very different kind of understanding of peace than we might think about. Um, Brian, I'm gonna go to the piano for a minute to illustrate this. You wanna turn this on for me? Guys, this is gonna be a train wreck, so just brace yourselves. Most of us experience life that sounds something like this. Does that sound like 2020 to anybody? So when that's what life is, what do we expect peace is? We want peace to go from And that seems like peace, doesn't it? But simply silencing the noise falls far short of what God has for us. Shalom is not the end of the conflict. Shalom is going from this to that. Okay, shalom is when the pieces start working together the way they were meant to work. Shalom is when harmony happens between us and God and between us and the people around us and then all the things that happen in the world. So God starts Israel. He starts growing them in the land, but they need a ruler. And so he raises up this man, David, who is the model of a perfect king. And he brings Israel together and he starts shaping this kingdom and he realizes just like Eden was a place to experience God's presence, they needed a place to experience God's presence. So he says, I'm gonna build a temple to meet with Yahweh. 
And I find this really fascinating. In 1 Chronicles 22, God says something really interesting to David about his dream of building a temple. Take a look at 1 Chronicles 22, verse seven. This is David talking to uh, his son Solomon. David said to Solomon, my son, I had it in my heart to build a house for the name of the Lord my God. But this word of the Lord came to me. You have shed much blood and fought many wars. You are not to build a house for my name because you have shed much blood on the earth in my sight. David accomplished the will of God, the work of God through war and bloodshed. And while that war was a necessary means that God brought about establishing the kingdom, he said, that's not the kind of leadership that's gonna establish shalom in my nation. So he goes on. He says, God said no to me. But then God says this, verse nine, but you will have a son who will be a man of peace and rest and I will give him rest on all his enemies on every side. His name will be Solomon. Now, it doesn't sound very similar in English, but do you know what Solomon is in Hebrew? Shalomun. David's son's name is literally Shalom. He says, David, you have been a man of war and bloodshed. And the one who's gonna bring Shalom to Israel will not be a man of war. Now, hey guys, what do you call the son of a king? Solomon is literally a prince of shalom. He is a prince of peace. And so he says, this is gonna be the one. And when you follow the story, everything's going amazingly well. Solomon does it. He builds a temple. He brings peace and wealth and prosperity. And it's the kingdom of God on earth. And Israel experiences shalom for 40 years. But something goes wrong. Take a look at 2 Kings chapter 11. I'm sorry, 1 Kings chapter 11. 1 Kings chapter 11, verse nine. The Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. Although he had forbidden Solomon to follow other gods, Solomon did not keep the Lord's command. So the Lord said to Solomon, since this is your attitude and you have not kept my covenant and my decrees, which I commanded you, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. We think about the beautiful glory of the kingdom of Israel. Do you know how long Israel was all united in the land under one, under one king in David's line? 80 years total. In the last 4,000 years, there were 80 years that Israel was united in the land with someone from David's line ruling on the throne. Because Solomon, the prince of peace, turned away from Yahweh, and when his relationship with Yahweh broke, everything in the land broke. Guys, this is Genesis 3 on repeat. You have the image bearer in Eden experiencing the presence of God, everything provided that God needs, that the people need from God, and he turns away from God and everything breaks. The nation falls apart, they get shattered and sent into exile. They had their perfect son of David, reigning on the throne and bringing shalom, and Solomon blew it. The one whose name was Shalom brought disorder and destruction. And it is in the wake of that story that Solomon says, or that Isaiah says, 
To you, a child is given. To you, a son is given, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You see, the idea here is not just a peace that happens when we have a feeling of calm inside our heart. The idea is the world is jacked up and broken and we need a better Adam and a better Solomon to come along and fix it. And Isaiah says that person is coming, the better son of David. So that's why we get this announcement in Luke chapter one when the angel comes. You will conceive and give birth to a son. You are to call him Jesus. He will be great. We call the son of the most high. The Lord will give him the throne of his father, whom? David. Who is David's son? Solomon. He's saying Jesus is the Solomon we needed. Where Solomon failed, Jesus will succeed. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. And then we fast forward to Romans chapter five. And this is what happened because of Jesus. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now gained access by faith into the grace which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. You see, before shalom could be established on earth, Shalom had to be established between us and God because every single human that ever tried to do Adam and Eve's job broke the world more than they fixed it. So Jesus had to come and fix us first. So that shalom, peace, is not just a feeling we have, although there is a feeling that comes, it is an absolute change in circumstance. You used to be God's enemy and now he has made you his friend. He has reconciled you. He has taken the chaotic noise of your life and brought it into harmony with him. And because of that, we now extend shalom in our relationships. We extend peace to others. And we sit in the time between the first coming of Jesus, the Prince of Peace, and the second coming where Revelation 11 will be true. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven which said, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah and his reign will be forever and ever. This is the answer to the prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done. So as we, as we seek, what does it look like to live in light of the Prince of Peace? What we see is that shalom has two axes. There's a vertical one between us and God and there's a horizontal one between us and others. And just like all the way back in the garden, we were meant to know God so that we could extend peace. So today, we are meant to have peace with God so we can extend peace to others. We go wrong when we fall into one of two ditches. One, we think that our peace with God is just for us and it makes no demand on the peace we have with others. No demand to go extend peace to the world around us. It's just me and my relationship with the Lord. Or on the other extreme, we try to go fix the world without dealing with our own hearts. But rather, the path that we have is through the Prince of Peace, we experience peace with God so that we extend peace to others. And we're still gonna come up against the tohuva-bohu world. We're still gonna come up against a world that's topsy-turvy until the day when Jesus returns. But because Jesus has come, he's made peace so that we can enjoy that peace 
and extend it to others while we continue to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, that's our prayer. We wanna be children of peace, people who experience your peace and extend it to others. So Lord, help us to believe what is true even when we don't feel it, that we do have peace with God because of Jesus. Help us to extend that to others. We love you. Praise things in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, will you stand with us and sing just the first verse of this song, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. Come Thou Long Expected Jesus Born to set Thy people free from our fears and sins, release us, let us find our rest in Thee. So, by faith in the better son of David, our prince of peace, we now have peace with God. So when we take the bread, we remember that it's true. No matter what you're feeling about your peace with God, by faith in Jesus, you have peace with God. So receive it by faith. And the blood of Jesus washes all our sins. So as we drink, we drink in remembrance of the work that he has done to give us peace. Hey, I wanna invite Seth and Kayla Murdoch to come on up. There are some dear friends of Mosaic who've been serving as global workers in Serbia for the last three years. Three, is that right? And they are home for the holidays to have a baby. And... Uh, and while they're here, praying about what God has for them next. And so we're just really excited uh, to have them, you got it, to have them light our, uh, our peace candle tonight. So it's a joy during the season as, as we get to sell, a lot of us are gonna be celebrating the family coming in from Australia and all over the place. And uh, we're excited to get to celebrate with them as they light the candle of peace this evening. Thanks guys for being with us and for serving our, our Lord in, in Serbia. Fellowship Mosaic, we're delighted to serve our Lord Jesus together. Let's reorient to him, let's reorient to each other, and let's reorient to God's purpose for this church in the world. Be blessed and experience this peace this week. And uh, if you'd like prayer, and we'd love, we'll have people up the front that would love to pray with you. Come on down and we'll, uh, we'll go to the Lord on your behalf. Have a great week, we'll see you.